The last thing each day is to set an alarm for the first thing with Mike Parsons and Renee Vitale on 760 WJR. So, of course, more details are trickling out about that shooting at the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl parade. And authorities have said that it was not terrorist or extremist related. It seemed to be uh, a situation that arose from a disagreement from a number of people. And, uh, you know, Renee, I don't know what that means. I don't know if there was a, a fight that broke out in the crowd, but they they uh, re- recovered a, a number of, of weapons at the scene from the suspects. And so I don't know if this was gang related or, or, or what, but it, it, seemed... it was very young people. We know that juveniles. Yeah. I, at least two were juveniles. I don't know if the third one turned out to be juveniles, but I, I, here's the thing. All right. I mean, it's already a tragic situation, but the fact that you, you have these idiots going here to settle a beef and a bunch of people got caught up in, you know, in, in the crossfire. It's like, did, did you get one up on the person you were trying to, uh, you know, settle a right. score with? No, or no, you just ruined a bunch of lives. Yeah. Now you're just some idiot going to jail for for who knows how long. Right. Um, but yesterday, uh, you know, a lot of the hero Samaritans who took down um, at least one of the suspects, they were interviewed. There was one man on the Today Show. There was a husband and wife team interviewed on Fox News. The the video itself. Have you seen the video of of a group of people taking down one of the assailants? I did. I did. It's unbelievable. A- absolutely incredible. So th- you know, thank God for those good Samaritans. Thank God for the 800 police officers who were there to um, neutralize the situation. But like I said yesterday, when when you have that many people in such a confined space, uh, there's a lot of damage that can be done before before help arrives well and it, and it makes all these other cities that host a big event including us coming up with the nfl draft look right. at your security measures um you know because you obviously don't want this it, unfortunately it's becoming a common thing and you have to be more than prepared for it well and jason and i were kind of talking about it yesterday is this going to make people think twice and stay home from these big events and i think the answer is yes well, and I think that it changes your mindset. You now have to think every time you're in a hev- heavily populated place, you know, you have to be vigilant to an extent anyway, but it used to be because you didn't want to get pickpocketed. Now you have to right. think about things like this. It's just, you're right. Is it worth it? And Ke- Kevin said it on All Talk yesterday. He said, when you start going to these events, you're gonna your head's going to be on a swivel. And right. that's just no way to live. No. And it's, yeah. you're not going to enjoy yourself well, with these things. Watch it from the joys and comforts of your home. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, uh, fire fire drills as a kid kind of conditioned me to always sort of look for a number of exits. And I think a lot of people are going to do that, which which is a good thing overall. However, it's sad that it's because of all these tragic situations that keep happening. Right. Um, and speaking of the draft, uh, you know, that that was a lot of people's first thoughts when they saw this because this this Super Bowl parade was happening in the same place that last year's NFL draft was and Detroit police actually held a briefing on security when it comes to the draft in April which I think I think was a good move on their part sure. James, Chief James White he held uh, in the briefing he said that Detroit police are prepared and have detailed strategies for any number of situations that could pop up They'll also have uniformed as well as plain clothes officers mixed within the crowd. They'll they'll be monitoring the draft area. They've got this big crime monitoring center downtown, and hopefully they can employ those big metal detectors that they use now for 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 large events. So, 
Um, Detroit police and James, James White, um, you know, I'm sure they're on top of it. And that's all you can do. You you can just plan, plan, and plan, and hope you never have to put those pl- plans into place. Yep. Uh, yesterday, Donald Trump got his first court date for his first criminal, first of four criminal trials. Yeah, he's going to face his first criminal trial next month over a 2016 hush money payment to adult film actress Stormy Daniels. Trump's federal 2020 election trial was originally scheduled to begin on March 4th, but that's been postponed. The Supreme Court may take up an appeal that the former president filed this week, which could push the trial back. The judge presiding over the case kicked off Thursday's hearing by denying Trump's motion to dismiss the charges. Uh, Jury selection for the trial will go forward on March 25th. The hush money case is one of several pending legal matters Trump faces while campaigning for the 2024 GOP presidential nomination and another term in the White House. He faces 91 criminal counts in four different jurisdictions. Yeah, and this this trial could last up to five weeks, and there's a New York state law that says Donald Trump has to be present every day. Right. He didn't have to be present yesterday, but he was. Yeah, it, once the tri- the actual criminal trial begins, um, he will have to. And yeah, he was there yesterday. Um, and, and a lot of people are, are wondering if this is going to interfere with the campaign. By that point, the primary may be over, so they may have a point. They, they, they might be into the general at this point. Right. Uh, and then yesterday, down south in Georgia, a trial to determine whether or not Fani Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis, say that 10 times fast, right. should be dismissed from the election interference case uh, was held. Uh, this is the state one, not the federal one. Willis is being accused of financially benefiting from hiring special prosecutor Nathan Wade. The two are engaged in a romantic relationship, and there's evidence that the two have gone on expensive trips together after Wade got a sizable raise from his assignment. Fonnie Willis says that she and Wade began the relationship after she hired him as a special prosecutor, which I still think would be a poor choice. A former friend of Fonnie Willis, an employee of her office, said they were together for at least a year before she even got the case. And here's I I don't even think it matters if Fonnie Willis financially benefited or not. She is in a relationship with someone she hired to help prosecute a former president of the United States. They have Donald Trump on video audio tape, I'm sorry, uh, asking the Georgia Secretary of State for enough votes to overturn the election. They they have a case that could have been a very good case once upon a time that now might be overturned because, you know, these two couldn't they, they, they couldn't resist each other until after the trial. Mike, you can't stop love. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? You can recuse yourself if you do find if you do. Find yes, love there on is the that. <laughs> Which sounds like a Hallmark movie, you know. Uh, oh, but, what yeah. a mess. I mean, look, like I said, they've got this audio tape, which is strong evidence, but it'd be, you know, it's still not a slam dunk because, you know, Trump's lawyers has got a lot of money for to to, to pay a lot of good people to uh work on his behalf. And when I say good people, I mean, you know, good at their jobs. Um, So now, now you enter this situation, the whole thing might be thrown out. So all this work that you've been doing for the past two years could be thrown out the window because you decide that you want to start dating uh, the, the person that you hired to help prosecute this case. Right. 
Uh, Ford CEO Jim Farley made some headlines yesterday. Yeah, he says that last fall's contentious UAW strike changed the company's relationship with the union to the point where it will think carefully about where it builds future vehicles. Uh, at a Wolf Research Global Auto Conference in New York Thursday, uh, he, the company always he says that the company always took pride in its relationship with the UAW, having avoided strikes since the 70s. But last year's Ford's highly profitable factory in Louisville, Kentucky, was the first truck plant that the UAW shut down with the strike. Farley said that as the company looks at the transition from internal combustion to electric vehicles, quote, we have to think carefully about our manufacturing footprint. He went on to say that high manufacturing costs are among the reasons why Ford has a $7 billion annual cost disadvantage to competitors. And he told the conference that Ford is making progress on cutting those costs with cultural and structural changes at the company. Then comes Sean Fain, the head of the UAW he hit oh, back Thursday. Man. Oh, he had his, his say. Uh, he says that the automaker needs to, quote, think carefully about where it builds future vehicles. And the automaker doesn't need to move factories to find the cheapest labor on earth. Meanwhile, Stellantis announced the biggest profit sharing checks among the big three. Their workers will receive an average of $13,860, wow. which is uh, down about $900 from last year. But I'd still take it. Mm-hmm. James Crumbly, the father of the Oxford High School shooter, his defense team are asking for a change of venue because they think that they won't be able to get a fair and impartial jury after um, Jennifer Crumbly's trial. We all saw it in the news. Israel's special forces, they raided Nasser Hospital in southern Gaza on Thursday for what they describe as a targeted raid to apprehend a number of suspects. And I was Kate, Caitlin Clark. She became the all-time leading scorer in NCAA women's basketball history, breaking Kelsey Plum's 2017 mark of 3,527 against your Michigan Wolverines. She's in striking distance of Pete Maravich's all-time overall NCAA record of 3,667 points. That was First a thing, hot Mike, ticket. It, it was. It was like uh, $1,000 for those tickets on the second mar- secondary market. You would have thought it was Alliance home playoff I game. No, good for yeah. her. So yeah, I mean she she definitely is raising the interest in in college uh, women's basketball. And I mean last year's Final Four and championship game, which they ultimately lost, had had huge huge ratings. All right, uh, first thing, Mike Parsons, Renee Vitale, WJR, and we're joined by Guy Lloyd and Jamie. Happy Friday, everybody. Happy Friday. Hello, hello. Oh, all right. Good morning. Ooh, all right. Present. There we are. All right. You know, I'm not going to be like one of those annoying people at a seminar that goes, you could do better than that. Good morning. I hate when people do that. Good morning. Good morning, <laughs> Mr. Parsons. That's my For go-to when re- I do bar nights. Yeah. For some reason, they kept doing that when I was at jury duty. Uh, every time they headed out there, they're like, good morning. And yeah. they're like, good morning. You got to do better. It's like, why are you trying to give me hype for jury duty? Just take what we give you. <laughs> Sounds like church. Sounds like church. Yeah. At least exactly. I'm here. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I'm only here so I don't get arrested. Like Marshawn Lynch. I'm no, only I'm here only so here so I don't, so don't get fined. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. That's right. Uh, this is a great story. And, you know, after a tragedy, you know, in the coming days, you start hearing these stories about, you know, heroicism by people who who, who were helping out and doing extraordinary things um, under extraordinary su- uh, circumstances. Kansas City Chiefs offensive lineman Trey Smith, he, he was on, I think it was on Good Morning America the other day. He gave his account of what happened with the players during the shooting at their Super Bowl parade. And 
They were leaving the stage at Kansas City Union Station when a security guard started to hurry them into a, a safe room, a closet, saying that this is not a joke. This is a life and death situation. And so uh, Trey Smith, he saw a, a, a lost child wandering around. And he, just, he, he literally just picked the kid up and said, you're coming with me. And he brought him into the safe room along with all of them. Um, and then once they got the all clear, they were taken to the team buses, which were filled uh, with bystanders, um, you know, trying to wait out the chaos that were ushered there by law enforcement. And Smith saw a child with his dad and the kid was was hysterical, understandably so. Um, so Smith had one of those mock up WWE championship belts that they had made up when they oh, won yeah. the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. So he takes the belt. He hands it to the kid and yeah. says, hey, buddy. You're the champion. No one's going to hurt you. We have your back. And he calmed the kid down. They talked wrestling uh, together, and he let him keep keep the belt. And I, I, what an absolute guardian angel on earth this guy is. That's, I mean, that's like the Mean Joe Green commercial oh, right. from decades yeah. ago, yeah. right? I mean, when he yeah. gives him the terrible towel. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, you know, good for him because he could have just gone in that safe room with his yeah. players and locked the door. Yep. Right. Uh, and, and just imagine, I mean, you know, anyone at any age would be panicking in that situation. But imagine you're, you're a kid and then you have this big, huge football player just telling you you're going to be OK in the midst of all this chaos. I mean, um, it, it, it's, it, it, you know, every time something like this happens, Mr. That Mr. Rogers meme po po pops yep. up online that mm -hmm. says when I was a kid and something bad happened. Um, I get scared and my mom told me to look for the helpers mm -hmm. and, and this guy is living up to that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's sweet. It's such, a, yeah. it's such a great story. And these, you know, the kids, you know, there were kids that were hurt, but the more kids, than half of them, yeah. of the victims are under 16. But the ones yeah. who were not still are mentally hurt. They're going to be, you know, oh, going through this for a while. This that's it's, it's tragic. It's, you know, it's tragic right. for them. Well, and that's why when you when you talk about the kids expecting to recover from the injuries, you say physically yes. because, yeah. um, you know, do you ever fully recover? It's the only responsible way to report it. Mm -hmm. Right. right. Mm -hmm. um, on, on a lighter note, Hank Winchester and Kelly Stafford, they, they have this podcast called The Morning After. Yeah. And <laughs> earlier this week uh, for Valentine's Day, they had special guest Matthew Stafford on. And, and Hank asked the couple a question uh, that we've often wondered about ourselves on the show. Go on and hit it, Jace. Now, when she has those very rare moments where she may insert her foot into her mouth and it really could rare. cause you trouble as you're standing in front of the cameras. Yeah. Is it one of those things when it happens right away where you call her and you're like, what the hell? Or do you like come home or do you not even bring it up? No, I usually get. Okay. If I'm being honest, I get mad. And then we talk about it and I come to, and I go, I know where you're coming from, but I'm like a, I would be like a reactionary person. I would say there's some, like, if I put my foot in my mouth and the fact that it affects team, yeah, you get, if it's something else, like the governor situation that happened in Michigan, yeah, correct. he came home and was like, are you okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. not like he was mad. He no. was just like, you dumbass. <laughs> you know what? Good on Hank for I asking that. I have wondered question. about what he thinks about all of her gas. I think everybody, I think Same. everybody has wanted to know. Yeah. And, and I mean, look, here's the thing. You know, Kelly Stafford has said, said some things that have drawn our ire, um, you know, in, in, in this city. 
but I mean that that's that's so relatable, and they really they they really do seem like like a great couple, and, and I think that's fair. All right, you know she puts her foot in her mouth, as Hank said on the rare occasion. Yeah, right. If it, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. not yeah. if it's right. when. Okay. What'd you say, guys? It's not if it's when right. she does yeah. it, and but she always seems to be it's doing quantity, it, not quality. Yeah, because she has Matthew's back, right? And and it seems like he has her back too. I mean, obviously it's understandable. She says something like, "I think she said something about how he's having a hard time uh, connecting, connect, yeah, with his younger players." I can understand him getting mad about that because it it affects his job. But you know, and she voiced her frustration with the governor and COVID, and she got some backlash. He was there for her, and. You know, to me, that seems very healthy, and I think those are very fair parameters. I wonder when he hits a point where he says, just stop talking. <laughs> well, that he hasn't yet. Probably, right. Because she's making money on that podcast. Yes, yeah, there's that. And here's the thing. Uh, it's probably never a good idea to say that to your wife ever <laughs> if you want to live. <laughs> so, uh, JR Morning coming up. Stay tuned. Friday edition. Detroit police and Chief James White, they held a briefing yesterday on draft security after the shooting at the Kansas City Super Bowl parade that killed one person and injured over 20 more. Uh, Detroit police say that uh, they have a number of detailed strategies for any number of situations that could pop up. They'll also have uniformed as well as plainclothes officer mixed in the, with the crowd and they'll be monitoring the draft area from their crime monitoring center and as well as via helicopter. Uh, new COVID guidelines just were re uh, revealed the other day, Renee. Yep, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is considering loosening its recommendations regarding how long people should isolate after testing positive for coronavirus. Under the proposed guidelines, Americans would no longer be advised to isolate for five days before returning to work or school. Instead, they might return to the routines if they've been fever-free for at least 24 hours without medication. The proposal is still under consideration. Ford CEO Jim Farley said that the company will have to, quote, think carefully about where it will build its vehicles in the future. After last year's UAW strike, he was speaking at the Wolf Research Global Auto Conference in New York. He said that Ford has prided itself on its relationship with the UAW in the past, avoiding work stoppages since the 70s before last year. Uh, he told the conference that our reliance on the UAW turned out to be we were the first truck plant to be shut down. Really, our relationship has changed. It's been a watershed moment for the company. Does this have a business impact? The answer is yes. Oxford High School shooter father James Crumbly and his defense team are asking for a change of venue when he goes to trial for manslaughter next month. Uh, Crumbly's attorney writes in her filings, it's impossible to have jurors forget what they have heard and seen since November 30th, 2021, and even more so as recently as Jennifer Crumbly's trial. In order to have a fair trial with impartial and unbiased jurors, a change of venue using jurors from a different county will be required. Donald Trump has a court date for his trial for allegedly trying to cover up hushed money payments he made to adult film star Stormy Daniels to hide an alleged affair that they had ahead of the 2016 election. Yesterday in Georgia, a trial to determine whether or not Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis should be dismissed from the election interference trial was also held. Willis is being accused of financially benefiting from hiring special prosecutor Nathan Wade. The two 
uh, were engaged in a romantic relationship, and there's evidence that they had gone on expensive trips together after Wade got a sizable rate from his assignment. And Iowa's Caitlin Clark, she became the all-time leading scorer in NCAA women's basketball history, breaking Kelsey Plum's 2017 mark of 3,527 against last night against the Michigan Wolverines. She's in striking distance of Pete Maravich's all-time overall NCAA record of 3,667. Renee? Mike, this is absolutely fascinating. We're going to finally be able to learn the truth about the legends and the stories that have been told for years about Macomb County's Village of Belvedere and Church of St. Felicity, which is lying beneath the waves of Lake St. Clair. The Macomb County Planning and Economic Development has a new grant-funded documentary called Hidden History of Lake St. Clair. And to tell us more about how we can check out that documentary and the fascinating discovery itself is Gerard Santoro, the Program Director of Park and Natural Resources, Macomb County Planning Department. Good morning, Gerard. Good morning, Renee. Thank you. And so, yeah, Gerard, I mean, when I heard that there's a, a, a whole hidden settlement underneath the water and, and there's a whole church underneath the water in Lake St. Clair, what kind of secrets really lurk underneath the surface? <laughs> well, you're not the first one to ask that, that's for sure. As a matter of fact, um, so much of the documentation had not been uh, provided because there was sort of a missing link between some of the formal records at the county that were back in French Canadian language um, to to now. So, yeah, I mean, part of the discovery was trying to actually figure that out. Wow. Now, I've been a boater on Lake St. Clair for about 20 some years now. I'm trying to just like figure out where exactly this is located. Okay, well, the the church um, is called St. Felicity at Lance Cruz was the official name of it. Um, It was founded during uh, Gabriel Richard's uh, mission to Detroit. Um, And it was actually uh, developed as one of the first Catholic parishes outside of Detroit in the lower Great Lakes. Oh, wow. Uh, So it does have some significance. Uh, We're somewhere in the late 1790s uh, to the mid you know, 18 teens, there's not a real solid record of actually when it first began, but we do think it was sort of like somebody was meeting in somebody's barn, you know, the priest would come by on canoes, and then they did something more official and got a land uh, from one of the local uh, French ribbon farmers, and uh, this location is not too far from uh, Metro Beach at Lake St. Clair Metro Park. Uh, a little bit down shore from that, uh, towards St. Clair Shores. So uh, th- this is a church that was above ground, and, and and now it's underneath the water in the lake. And then uh, the village of Belvedere, that, that was like an entire city that is now submerged underneath the, uh, the waters in Lake St. Clair? Yeah, I mean, a, a city might be a stretch, but maybe a village. <laughs> yeah. You know, it had, it had um, at least a dozen to two dozen uh, building structures. We, we think there was at least 12 residences uh, with a lot more potential. Uh, there was also a fishing lodge, a really popular fishing lodge. Um, and then there was also a hotel. Wow. There was oh a goodness. bank that issued, that issued its own currency and bonds um, called the Bank of Lake St. Clair. And uh, yeah, it was pretty fascinating. It was the it was the dream child of um, James Conger. He was a former 
congressman from the state of Michigan uh, during the Michigan uh, territory and then, you know, statehood. So, uh, yeah, he uh, was told not to build there because it was sort of wetland and <laughs> right. it was sort of marshy. You know, one of the Catholic priests and some of the Native Americans uh, told him this is not a good place to build. But um, he did some speculation on the property and it became his doom. And some people call it, you know, Congress folly. Yeah, uh, you know, sort of jokingly now. Yeah, I mean, I mean, talk about I told you so, but that, <laughs> that leads to my next question. Uh, you know, how exactly was this church and this village submerged when it was once upon a time on dry land? That's a really good question. That was the other part that we needed to sort of resolve in our research. Um, what we found out is that um, just sort of by chance, we were looking at some of the old records and uh, we had discovered that in 1855, both the U.S. and the Canadian government um, at that time, well, which was under the governance of British uh, government, um, agreed to channelize the St. Clair River and then channelize right through the St. Clair Flats, like by Harsons Island and, you know, that South Channel area. And um, when they straightened that out, what happened is they made it so that two good-sized Great Lakes-going ships could pass each other without getting grounded. So that was the goal. And what happened is that goal led to a deeper, much wider channel. So it was almost like turning the faucet on from, you know, (laughs) from the equilibrium of the lakes of uh, Huron and Michigan, which is the same mean elevation, allowed more water to enter into the flats in Lake St. Clair, which then equalized itself with only the Detroit River, which was partially channelized, but not to the same extent, because it was always a deep river, uh, but it um, allowed uh, the mean elevation to permanently change in Lake St. Clair. But, you know, after 1855, both of the settlements sort of ceased to exist. And so as a result, uh, what we have now uh, these both of these towns were sort of when we say they were submerged, they were probably submerged somewhere three to five feet above the ground level. Mm. So, you know, that makes them sort of non-functional. So what happened is after that, the church was the first to abandon its site, and then it um, actually became um, St. Gertrude's in St. Clair Shore. So there oh, was wow. some history that carried on from the actual church. We don't know how much of that church was removed. There's some anecdotal evidence that they, during the um, winter when it froze over, that they cut the beams off and reused all the wood to help build the first church, uh, either a church in Mount Clemens or possibly even St. Gertrude. It's still, you know, a mystery out there. We don't know. But then, you know, Belvedere uh Remained, part of it remained because it was really close to what's now called North River Road, still there, still above water. Um, the, the actual hotel remained um, sort of intact because it was a little bit higher than the rest of the town. And there was a little area called Grassy Island. Yep. Right up into the 1960s, Grassy Island was still above water. In fact, Conger was so insistent that it would come back, the water levels would come back down, that him and his family stayed there for several years. And also, they had to abandon their home at one point and go to a barn uh, that was still standing. And when he reached for something, he pulled up what was a water snake, and that was the last uh, 
last draw for him, he finally made the move. Well, there. <laughs> yeah. Day. Now I've got <laughs> a deep <laughs> history on all the places that I like to hang out. Conger Bay, Belvedere yeah. Bay, Grassy Island. Wow. Now I, I deeper understanding. It, it's called the Hidden History yeah. of Lake St. Clair, Gerard Santoro. For those who want to check it out, how do we find it? The film will be posted um, at macombgov.org. That's uh, just macombgov, one word, dot O-R-G. Gerard Santoro, Program Director, Park and Natural Resources, Macomb County Planning Department. Thank you so much for talking about this, and we can't wait to watch it. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. First thing, Mike Parsons, Renee Vitale on WJR. Nuclear-powered Russian satellites in outer space. House Intelligence Committee Chairman Mike Turner rang the alarm earlier this week on what he says is a huge national security concern. Andy Arena, the head of the Detroit Crime Commission and former head of the Detroit FBI, joins All Talk to let us know how worried we should be. What is this urgent national security threat warning we got yesterday? As the day started, was it Martians? Was it UFO attacks? It was. A massive meteor coming to Right. It was chilling. And I mean, it was very chilling. And it came from the House Intelligence Committee Chairman, Mike Turner. So he releases this, uh, people are calling it an unusual statement, uh, a warning of a serious national security threat threat but not really providing any other details. He said the president needs to declassify this so the public can know. So we can all know. And then everybody kind of walked it back, walked it forward. It was all <laughs> over the place. And then it was leaked to uh, the press that this is apparently some, uh, the Russians are ready to put nukes in space and uh, we need to be on high alert. But maybe we've known about this for a long time, but maybe these are just ideas and not developed and maybe it's urgent. We don't know. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> Let's bring in Andy Arena, executive director of Detroit Crime Commission, former head of the FBI here in Detroit. Good morning, Andy. How are you? And I don't know either, Kevin. <laughs> oh, we were hoping you'd know. We were hoping you'd know, Andy. What did you think when you saw that or heard it? So, you know, as Kevin knows, I teach a national security law class. And actually, my students and I were talking about this last night. We're talking about the national security strategy of the United States and how we're, we're really traditionally have been very, very short-sighted. You know, we need to be more strategic. And then you know, we're, we're kind of overlaying that on this and, and, and the Middle East and, and China. And, you know, you're looking at this and, you know, why now, right? Um, you know, Mike Turner, there's a reason um, that he said what he said. And, and I actually heard an explanation this morning, uh, one of the talking heads saying, you know, that, you know, maybe, maybe the reasoning was, um, you know, we're looking at Ukraine. We're trying to get this aid through the Ukraine. He just came back from a, a trip to Ukraine. Uh, you know, he's been on the ground. He's seen firsthand what's going on. You know, the Russians have lost over 300,000 men. Uh, they've lost enormous amounts of equipment. And, you know, maybe this is kind of framing that debate, bringing it back to the forefront uh, is, you know, the support for Ukraine uh, to basically stop uh, to stop Russia. And really, you know, what is the national security threat of Russia? Right. Now, look, if they if this is true and they put nuclear uh, weapons in space, and they're able to knock out our satellite communications. Um, you know, that's communications, command and control, uh, ability to travel, right? We can't go to the gas station without GPS, right? right. <laughs> we'll knock those satellites out. Um, that, that's a huge, huge threat to national security. So, you know, I think there's some de- debate as to the timing of this. Why, why would he do this? Um, it, it, Kevin, you said it. It sounds like they've known about this for a while. You know, is it this imminent threat? Is it something that's going to happen today or tomorrow? Um, or is this trying to, to basically frame the debate on, on uh, AD Ukraine?
It almost sounds a little cynical to suggest that maybe we're getting tricked to get to pass a spending bill uh, for yeah. Ukraine to, to battle Russia because they're our, our arch enemy. Uh, I, I don't know. The timing is weird for sure. But I guess more importantly, you know, how, how real is the threat? Could it be that um, he was just frustrated? Mike Turner might have just been frustrated that he, he that this has been there and nobody's doing anything about it. And you're like, why isn't anyone doing more about this? This really concerns me, and I'm just going to let the cat out of the bag? Yeah, I don't think, like I said, I don't know what's in his head. I, I don't think it's you know, like he's trying to trick us. And I think it's he's, he's more like trying to frame the discussion, you know, back to really – you know, Russia is a threat to our national security. They have been a threat to our national security. You know, you look at a guy like Putin. You know, Putin's an old KGB officer. I mean, he grew up in the Soviet Union. I mean, that's what, you know, his goal is to, to basically reassemble the Soviet Union. Um, if you look at the history of Russia, the, you know, the invasions from the West, you know, he's looking to, to rebuild that empire, rebuild that buffer. Um, that's his psyche. That's what, that's what that guy believes. And so, you know, I think maybe this is trying to reframe uh, you know, he's not going to stop. Right? I, I told my class last night, this is, you know, for those of us who study history, I and mean, this is like 1938 all over again. And, um, you know, it's eerily similar to what we've seen in history in the past. And, you know, you're not, I don't know that you're going to appease a guy like this. And, uh, you know, I think maybe they're trying to frame it that, they, hey, this, this is a threat and we need to we need to be looking at this. Um, Andy, uh, well, one of the big, uh, when you're talking about a security threats, one of the big areas that is often not discussed is what the Soviet Union is doing in the Arctic. That there, um, you know, that there's a lot of surveillance going on in that area. There are a lot of uh, uh, bases going into those areas. And we're just kind of not aware of that or we don't really know a lot about it or think a lot about it. I'm sure the military is, but um, that's the first thing I thought of when I when I saw this yesterday. And so, Marie, I think that, you know, we keep talking about framing, reframing the discussion. That's exactly right. I mean, the, the threat is not just what's going on in Ukraine. It's space. It's the Arctic area. Um, you know, there's a lot of natural resources, oil deposits. Um, and it just from, from a surveillance standpoint, right? I mean, you know, back when I was getting, Kevin and I were younger, probably you, Marie, you know, we used to have the, the – uh, the fear was the the Soviets coming over the Arctic Circle with strategic bombers or missiles, right? Right. I, I don't really we think about that in this country anymore. So, you know, I think we maybe that's what Mike Turner is trying to, to say is, look, man, we got to we've got to reframe the discussion here and look at that, you know, that the Russians are a threat. You know who was really surprised is White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan. He had to he had to <laughs> yeah. jump into action uh, and, and get out there and say something. Uh, he said uh, he had reached out to members of Congress earlier in the week to to offer them a personal briefing. Uh, it, you know the the announcement could set it could have set off panic. It really exactly could. the way the way right. it happens. Is this something that you know? I don't know the the Biden administration or, or whomever uh, should have been with the you know, the gang of eight or something to let people know that they're on top of it and what's going on by, by, by letting it out the way it came out. I mean, it, I don't think it did cause mass panic, but it seemed like it could have. Well, I think it did yesterday, right? It really did cause a lot of what, you know, what, what is this threat? Is it, you know, and it made it sound like it was this imminent threat. And, you know, I, I the way it was handled, um, yeah, the timing, I'm trying not to be cynical, Kevin, but you know, the timing, I mean, you know, Turner just came back to the Ukraine, um, you know, why, why, why now? Right. 
it sounds like that this is not something that just came up yesterday. It's been out there. Um, you know, there's usually strategic reasons as to why they, they, you know, they bring these things up. You know, Kevin, you and I talked about it. When I was in counterterrorism division at the FBI after 9-11, I would go up and brief the House Intelligence and the Senate Intelligence right. Committee, you know, secret, you know, closed-door sessions. <laughs> by the time I got back to FBI headquarters six blocks away, it was on CNN. You know, they're sieves. They leak everything. Um, but, you know, this was this was done with a purpose and, and a reason and, and, and was very strategic.